Hello and welcome to episode number 13 of Prosperity by the Pine. I am your host, Bryce Carter. I'm a self-proclaimed millennial money expert. I've earned the marks of the CFP, which is Certified Financial Planner. I'm a chartered financial consultant. I'm also a Certified Investment Management Analyst and your host of this very great show, Prosperity by the Pine. This is the podcast where we talk about money, investing, business, and life success, all while having a cold beer. Cheers. This week... I've had this before on the show, but I'm not sorry because I like it so much. Bell's Hop Slam Ale, it is a delicacy here in Michigan, and it has a limited shelf life, and I was able to get a hold of quite a few of them, so we need to drink through it, which is why I'm having it again. So, cheers. This beer changes a little bit every year they make it. I feel like it's sweeter now than it used to be, but we'll see. When I get to the bottom of it, I'll give you my give you my thoughts. So, I wanted to do an episode on life insurance because I think it's a topic that confuses a lot of people. I think a lot of people are underinsured, and I think a lot of people are being screwed over. It's that simple. Odds are, if you're listening to this and you're younger, if you have kids, a mortgage, a wife, uh, a husband, uh, people that care about you and you have responsibilities, you need life insurance. And here's why. You don't want to be the person when you die that your family's hosting a spaghetti dinner to raise money for your funeral. I don't want that to be me. So when my wife and I decided to get married, uh, actually when I proposed not long after, our policies are dated before her marriage date. That's how I, I bought a million dollars worth of life insurance on her and a million dollars worth of life insurance on myself. Not long after my daughter was born, I bought a quarter million dollars of life insurance on her. Why did I do Why did I do life insurance on an infant? I'll get to that in a minute. But before I do, I want to explain for just a minute the reasons that you need it. So if you're younger and you're listening to this, by younger, I mean anybody that's not already retired, your most valuable asset, odds are, are your ability to earn income. So if you make 50 grand a year and you have, uh, let's just say, I don't know, 30 years of left working, do the math on what you're going to make for the rest of your life. Do it real quick. Don't have to factor in you know, uh, raises and stuff like that. You're gonna make a million and a half dollars left in the next 30 years, right? So of those dollars that you're making, you're also probably, maybe you have health insurance, maybe you have a 401k match, maybe you have dental, um, you know, and you're paying bills and expenses out of those dollar amounts. If you die today, your most valuable asset is a million and a half dollars of future income and it's out the door. Odds are you don't have a million and a half saved, Therefore, your ability to go to work and make a living is your most valuable asset. You have responsibilities. If you're married, if you have children, if you have a mortgage, you have responsibilities. You need to cover those responsibilities. You need to take care of them, particularly those loved ones, those kids and your spouse. You need to take care of them. And one of the best ways you can do that is life insurance. So there's a that's the simple why. And you don't argue. You can't argue with that. I've heard I've heard the excuses on them. Now, if you're an older person and you happen to be listening, I don't know how big my audience is that's over the age of 65, but listen up. If you're 65 years old, your spouse is 65 years old, and you are both collecting Social Security at $2,000 a month, that's $24,000 a year each, and you die, guess what happens? One of those checks stops. So... Take $24,000 of income out of your household for any household 
let alone a retired one living on a fixed income, and what happens? That's financial trouble, right? So even once you are retired, and yes, there may be a significant amount of savings, there is an income loss when something happens to you, okay? Because only one Social Security check is going to arrive when there's only one living spouse in a household, okay? Beer break. Getting a little intense here. I think I need to liven it up a little bit. Just be a little little bit more cheery. I just... I've, I've delivered enough death claims. I work as a financial planner and part of financial planning is life insurance. It's not the only part investing. A lot of the topics we talk about on this podcast are part of that process. And life insurance is not necessarily one that I'm super, uh, I don't necessarily love that process. Life insurance is, can be a tough topic to talk about. Um, buying it is about as much fun as buying tires for your car. Um, so it's one of those things. It's not the most passionate part of the job that I have, but damn it, is it necessary? And I've sat across the table from people in tears as I slid a check across and it doesn't bring their loved ones back, but it provides a little bit of relief and that makes it worth it. And that's why I still do life insurance as a financial planner. So now I can liven it up a little bit and have a sip of my beer and relax. I'm extra passionate about this too because I I I tend to look at scenarios that I've seen in the past and the mistakes that people have made and how that's impacted their families and uh it, it gets me fired up about it. I don't think that there should be really any ifs if you need a life insurance policy if you have obligations and responsibilities. That being said, I know that there's a lot of people out there that can't uh can't get it because of pre existing conditions and I understand that. If that's the case, I think you have to start thinking outside the box. So a very good friend of mine uh, who's an associate has been uninsurable since he was a child. So one of the things that he's done is buy a bunch of rental real estate that produces an income that he has been saving and uh, paying down on the debt. So they're all net income properties. And with regard to that, what he has done is essentially build a stream of income to replace his income when something happens to him because he knows because of his pre-existing condition, his wife's probably going to outlive him uh, unless there's some sort of an accident. So that's responsibility. That's thinking ahead with that. But what I wanted to spend a few minutes on today was just talking about the types of policies and making them make sense. So anybody that tells you an absolute in finance doesn't know what they're talking about or they're doing it for entertainment purposes. So if somebody says you should only ever buy life insurance that is term, the rest of the stuff is crap. They're lying. They don't know what they're talking about. They're doing it for entertainment purposes. I'm talking about like the Dave Ramsey's of the world. He's got some really good budget advice. You know, don't use credit cards. Uh, Spend less than you make. That stuff's really freaking obvious. If you can't get that part down, we got other problems, right? And term insurance works beautifully for the majority of the population. But you can't say things like you should never buy this or never buy that. Absolutes in finance are inaccurate at at best and fraudulent at worst. So let's talk about this for a second. Term, that's what I own. Uh, I have a mortgage. I have a young family. I have a large income earning potential for the rest of my life. So therefore, I need as large of a policy as possible and preferably with as little of a premium as possible. Term works great. Term comes in a, a, a set years. So you have a one-year term, five-year term, 10-year term, 20. There is 30-year term. I'm not as big a fan of 30-year term. I think it starts to get 
a little bit too expensive for a lot of companies. Thirty years looks like uh, looks like they're going to be paying a claim for twenty, and it's a little safer. So you have these five, ten, twenty, thirty years terms, and basically what you get is a policy where the premium is locked in for those period of time. So your auto insurance can change in price every year. So can your homeowners. But if you buy a 20-year term today and it's $100 a month, it's going to be $100 a month, 19 months or 19 years and 11 months from now. Year 20, though, it goes up and it goes up to the insurance company's price, which you're not going to like. They price you out of it after the term, original term period expires. That's term insurance. If you have large obligations, you're younger, uh, you have kids, you, you have a high income earning potential, you need term insurance. The other two basic uh, types of insurance are universal life and whole life. Uh, universal life, uh, there's a lot of those policies out there I really, really, really do not like. There's some that I do, though. Um, there's some universal life policies. Basically, they're meant to, they have a cash value component of it. I'm not going to get too into that today just because I think it's a longer conversation. And I think that if you're going to buy a universal life policy, uh, it's kind of a niche whether you're buying it for the cash value or not. But a lot of times a universal life or UL as they're known can be used as a permanent way of buying a permanent policy for not as much as a whole life policy. So a universal life policy, uh, they, 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 take part of your premium. It costs more than a term and they put it into a savings account type of vehicle for you. Some invest in the market. And so part of your premium goes to the cost. Part of your premium goes towards a set aside account. Uh, one of the things that Ramsey gets right is he says, you're going to earn more if you invest that elsewhere. That is, that's probably correct, uh, depending on the investment elsewhere. Right. But the problem is, if you look at that with every single product you purchased, if you found a gallon of milk at Kroger for a dollar ten, and you found it at uh, Meyer for ninety cents, eh, eh, do you invest the twenty cent difference? Like every time you find a product that costs less, do you invest the difference? No, you don't. So I don't know that you should necessarily look at that equation with, with, with life insurance. I think that there's a time and a place for a policy that's a permanent policy. So the other type of permanent policy besides universal life is whole life. And I, I actually like whole life in the right scenario. The problem with both universal life and whole life is they are way oversold. If you have debt, credit card debt, uh, if you have student loan debt, if you have almost anything other than mortgage debt, you probably should not have a permanent policy because the debt payments on those vehicles, those you know, loans are greater than the interest that you're going to earn on the policies, you know, unless it's some sort of a, a market-based product. But again, beyond the scope of the today's conversation. So when it comes to these types of, of things, you're looking at like a, uh, a whole life policy. I don't have an issue with them from the standpoint of how they work structurally. The product isn't the problem. It's the placement. They're way oversold. I've met individuals that have way, you know, uh, way too much in credit card debt that are being sold whole life contracts that are going to earn 4%, maybe in the cash value in the long term, but they're paying 15% interest rate on cards. That person is not a financial advisor. They're a whole life salesman. There is a time and a place for all types of policies, almost all types of policies. So you can't work with absolutes. This is a damn good beer, Bell's Hop Slam Ale. So the, the point being is that when you speak in absolutes on finance, it's usually inaccurate information. So I believe for most people, term is right. But the problem with like whole life and universal life is not products displacement. They're oversold. You know, you can't say that a product is complete crap uh, as a savings vehicle uh, when, you know, 
you look at a scenario like Jim Harbaugh and University of Michigan used a large whole life contract to fund his um, fund some of his, his salary because it works as a really good tax play for them. So, I mean, the, the, these these some of these whole life contracts have been vetted by the best accounting firms and uh, investment firms in the country and work out to be good good options. So to say that all of them are crap is just inaccurate. Uh, so. The problem is they, they are oversold uh, to middle-class America. And so for most people, if you're in debt, if you're still really uh, working on trying to maximize your Roth, uh, if you're working on still trying to save enough into your 401k to get the match, all those things you should be doing before you ever even consider switching to maybe a, um, a whole life type of contract. But those do serve in a place. The bigger thing is just making sure that you have enough life insurance. And the best way to get enough is to buy term often. So if you have, you know, an income, you need to figure out what you want your life insurance to accomplish. Do you want it to re- to replace your income for how many of years? Uh, do you want it to pay off the mortgage plus replace your income for a certain amount of years? That's, that's going to be a larger dollar amount, right? So there's a needs-based analysis and, and there's a capital expenditure analysis, which basically looks at like what you're giving up. So need do do does your spouse need your salary for the next 30 years plus the mortgage paid off or or did they you know do you want to do that right so i think you got to look at a lot of different factors here term works great for for low cost purchase of insurance the biggest thing i'll tell you about buying term is making sure it's convertible so i worked with a client recently that had a term that was expiring and they were in an uninsurable state due to cancer so we converted it to a permanent policy not knowing whether they were going to make it another five years or another five days or another you know 25 years uh and when you're looking at a scenario like that it's nice to have the know like this is my policy now and this is the premium without the thing expiring and getting a ridiculous bill every other month right so that's where making sure your policy has a conversion privilege with a good reputable company credit quality matters too so you know the the life insurance policy is only as good as the company standing behind it and their credit quality uh, insurance companies get credit ratings just like we get credit scores. So you might get a credit score of like 780 if you're good at paying your bills. Uh, insurance company might get a, a credit rating of A or AA or AAA if they're a good reputable company. So to wrap this thing up is there is no absolutes when it comes to finance, particularly personal finance, because no two situations are exactly the same. No two products are exactly the same. Yeah, there's a lot of bad products out there and there's bad people peddling them. But as long as you know your situation really well and you're trying to inform yourself, uh, for most people, term insurance will work well. Um, And I think I encourage you to look at the dollar amount that you're carrying and not just the amount you have through an employer because if you leave your job, odds are you lose your insurance. Those are the kind of things that you want to look at. And that's part of the financial planning cycle. That's what I do on a daily basis. Life insurance isn't my favorite aspect of the uh, the process, but it's certainly a necessary one. And I did want to touch for real quick, because I told I would, <clears throat> on why I bought life insurance on an infant, is I bought life insurance on my daughter when she was born, not because she is an income-producing person at this point. The amount of money I spend on diapers, uh, she is not producing income. But uh, the reason being is, heaven forbid, something happens to my little peanut, which is my whole world, I would be devastated and out of work for a while. 
Okay, that's one. There's an income loss there. Two is my friend that I mentioned that's uninsurable. was probably insurable when he was 15 years old or 15 days old. I have another friend that you know was diagnosed with type two, uh, type two diabetes uh, badly in high school, and so they were insurable up to that point. Is now she has a life insurance policy, a permanent one, in fact, that for the rest of her life she can carry. So when she grows up and has her own family, even if she's developed some sort of a condition like type two diabetes or something that doesn't allow her to buy her own insurance, daddy bought her some, and I will give that policy to her at some point in the future. So that's why, yes, you're insuring against, you know, the, the, the things we don't want to talk about, heaven forbid, but you're also insuring against the chance of being uninsurable. And it's so cheap at, when they're little that it just makes, it makes sense. So think about this. You don't want to be the person that's having your family host a spaghetti dinner when you die because you didn't take your responsibilities. You're a grown-ass adult. Grow up. Take care of your responsibilities. Subscribe, Spotify, iTunes, anywhere you listen to podcasts, YouTube, and check out the Facebook page, Prosperity by the Pint. Cheers.